When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. issue for all women. Hello, hello, Mickey here and a hearty welcome to you, listeners of This Sunday Chops. Now, there is a wealth of excellent stand-up currently doing the UK rounds, not least The Boss, who is, to be fair, mostly sold out, but always worth checking sarahmillican.com or her social media accounts for the odd flurry of last-minute ticket releases. I've seen the show, it's really, really good. Go and see Leigh Bloomer. And recently, on this very pod, you've heard Hannah chatting to Laura Smith. Worth noting, I immediately booked tickets for her Heart of the Empire date. And me having a night with Jess Bostercue, whose show Metal I've seen and is fecking brilliant. And indeed, Olga Koch, who I haven't managed to catch Pro and Cocktail yet, but it is on the list. And still, there's more. Yes, please, funny women. And hello to the glorious Catherine Bohart, who I am having a lovely time with in this here episode. We're chatting about the joy and freedom of podcasts, being a professional oversharer, living with OCD, the giving and receiving of advice, and of course, her new show, Again With Feelings, which is on tour in various venues around this country, in Ireland and in Australia from March the 4th. I like her. I like her a lot. And I've no doubt that you will too. Hello, I am joined on the Zoom by comedian, podcast mogul, writer, broadcaster and professional oversharer, Catherine Bohart. Catherine, hello. Apart from the word mogul, I was like, I love professional oversharer. Mogul makes me feel like, damn, I should have got a briefcase. That's so cool. <laughs> I wish I was a mogul. I'm good. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. I almost went with oligarch, but then it just makes you sound sinister. And also way richer than I am. Well, come <laughs> yeah, on. <that's> that. <laughs> like, there should be pros and cons to oligarchy, and I don't have any of the pros, so I'm not taking the heat. Thanks very much. <laughs> I changed it. <laughs> yeah, and I appreciate that. Mogul, I'll take. No one knows what it means, so I'll take it. Thank you. <laughs> really, I would have done like podcast whore or podcast hoarder, you know? Yeah. I those feel like more indicative of the money I'm making, but the enthusiasm with which I do my job. <laughs> sometimes I'm faking, sometimes I'm trying. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? I feel like podcasts are such a big part of my job now. And had you said it to me a while ago, I'd have been like, ugh, ugh, ugh. And now I'm just like, podcasts to me are just the thing that we can own as comics that you can really like develop and keep ownership of throughout your career. They have a special place in my heart because they're real free and you don't rely on anyone else to make them. So I'm happy to be a, a mogul of podcasts. I'll take it. It's a delight to have so many female moguls because I do think, obviously, it's still really dominated by middle-class white men because the world. But I do feel a bit like that and YouTube, when YouTube was fresh, was a real place for women to find their voices. Totally. And that is the other thing. It really lets you try stuff out, find the funny in what you're saying and really test where and what you think under pressure, but with an edit button. And that is a safer place to be than a lot of stages. And also, I think quite a female friendly space in the context of like, if anyone can feel air, 
it's women. <laughs> it's actually shocking yeah, to me that so many men are in the game. I'm like, since when did you guys want to talk? What? <laughs> We've been begging. We've been saying, what are you thinking? Four years, nothing. Now suddenly, all it took was money. <laughs> yeah, they just needed a cash incentive, it turns out. Whereas, yeah, I think women are natural podcasters, by which I mean chatters. Let's stick with the podcast then before we get onto your show, which we absolutely will. Trusty Hogs, the very funny advice podcast you do with friend of the show, Helen Bauer, is going strong, brilliant. And Shared Baggage, the very funny advice podcast you do with Larry Dean <laughs> and sex and relationship therapist, Charlene Douglas, is also a corker. Cool listeners, if you're not involved, get involved. Catherine, what qualifies you to give so much advice to people? So I really want to put two caveats here. First of all, the Shared Baggage, we have an expert. We have Charlene Douglas, who's the sex expert on Married at First Sight because we are not qualified. So we <laughs> relay our errors and she politely informs us where we could have behaved better, which is quite useful. On um, Helen Lai's podcast, would we say advice is what we're giving? It's such a good question. I would say agony ants who sort of protract the agony is more our vibe. And the most common advice Helen gives is to put them in a well. And so, but what I would say is that there we have quite a young quite a queer audience and so a lot of the time they are talking about things that I have been through and a lot of the time they teach us stuff which I really like as well I think we with the one thing we do by well is stay open to being wrong very wrong and to listening and so uh I'd say we don't we're not qualified but we also usually have a comic in the room who helps us but no um, I don't think anyone's coming to us instead of a GP and if they are we'd actively discourage that Oh, I think you might, but Helen was very clear that she thought she was giving <laughs> incredible advice when I asked her the same question. <laughs> of course she was. That is that is truly our dynamic. I'm so earnestly like, obviously, if you need a doctor, you should go to a doctor. And Helen's like, we're perfect. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I would also say you hit on something there that I think is maybe when... I realised I was an adult because I think we're in denial for a long, long time. I'm I'm way past that point. I can't be in denial now. But it is the openness to knowing that you're probably not right a lot of the time and willingness yeah. to learn. That's so interesting. I have experienced the opposite. I've experienced in my life, I've found adults much more likely to be sort of fixed in opinion and sort of as if they come in groups, as if if you have one opinion, it leads consequently to a bunch of others. And children, much more open and curious. That isn't to say that I don't... Um, oh, sorry, I'll turn off my mail. How about I do that? Mail, quit mail. Do you mean email or is a, a, a man just delivering stuff to you I right just turned now? him off. I had just turned him off, yeah. I just said, oh, please, pass. Oh. Um, <laughs> all the quotes that <laughs> I call that. Um, Neville, I... But I know what you mean. I'd say maybe my early 20s is when I thought I was right about everything. And I've sort of returned back to a curiosity, I think, and an openness. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. And then I think the descent into older age will find us more fixed. But I really want to not do that. I think Me I want to keep that, that wonder and curiosity about the world and that willingness to question myself. I'm desperate to. I'm desperate to. I think there was a while there late 20s early 30s where I didn't really feel like I was learning much I didn't drive last year and it was such a cool thing to be like a new skill in my 30s I know that's way old and obviously listeners outside of London are like we ill as a team but <laughs> I um I know I learned a lot you can speak but it was so nice to be like oh yeah we stopped sort of learning 
And I think it's actually a really exciting time. There's something I think I've really um, taken pleasure in with podcasts. Like the thing I miss about university is constantly having someone go, have you heard about this? And you haven't and you pretend you have. But now I feel like podcasts are like, have you heard about this? Don't worry if you haven't. Here's all the info. And I like learning in that way. Are you someone that people you actually know come to with a problem? I would say you come to me if you want solutions. I really work hard on being a good listener, but I'm not a very natural listener. I'm very practical and I love to get things solved immediately and I want things to be better, which is um, you know, a hindrance and it comes from perfectionism, I think. But I think people come to me when they need a direct solution. You've made yourself sound like an assassin. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Shall I break up with her? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it doesn't make me sound like that. But I think I'm like quite a crisis mode person. People come when it's really bad. Um, I'm quite good at like the following three steps will make this manageable. But I don't think people necessarily come to me for gentle love. I hope they will. I'm working on it. I really am working on it. But I come from a family of real like doers, you know. So I have to stop myself when I kind of try to do that classic thing with my partner where I'll be like, do you want me to listen or do you want me to solve? Because my moan is solved. But it's not my natural space. So yes, but in extremes, I'd say. Are you as pragmatic with your own shit? Yes. Well, that's good. I think so. And listen, there's definitely people I need to go to when I need to be pragmatic. There are some people in my life who are the me to me. But I think I'm quite... Women never really say their favourite thing about themselves, but I think I'm relatively resilient. I think I have had to work really hard to find ways to function in the world. And um, I have. So yeah, I think I'm relatively pragmatic. Yeah. But But of course, we all have blind spots, right? And they're usually with ourselves. Of course. But I love the idea of women claiming stoicism because it's seen as a very male trait I think you know your heroes throughout the ages and the classic texts and stuff your men are the stoics and actually women have to be stoic about so much stuff from such an early age it's wild we I know it's the obvious go-to and I really don't want to be a cliche but like the fact that we bleed (laughs) and just crack on Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'm I'm obsessed with this at the minute, which everyone's just like is a baby's first period, but kind of. Because I had the coil for ten years and just got it out. Is this too much information in the morning? Here we are. Professional overshare. Here she is. Yeah. Well, consequently, I had my first period in ten years. And I am acting like a man who got it. It's like I keep being like, How are we doing this? <laughs> like, what do you mean? I have to go out in the world. I keep being absolutely shocked that anything else is expected of me so yeah i agree that we are and also just like mothers are the ultimate stoics i mean i don't have kids but every woman i watch who does anything else um at the same time i'm just like you know when you go to your other people that are the kind of you in the advice giving are you are you good at actually taking that advice yes because i wait till the last minute where i'm absolutely desperate so um (laughs) So I'll take anything at that point. My friend Georgie, who gets me at my worst a lot of the time, poor her, could tell me to do anything and I'd be like, fine, fine, fine. I'll try it at this point. I'll try it. Yeah, I think I'm pretty good. I mean, I so my new show is a lot about um, finding myself in familiar situations and being shocked that it's still happening. So I say all this and then I'm like, like, I just moved into a house share at 35. Always a sentence you want to say. 
And <laughs> I uh, I really genuinely think I thought I'd convinced myself my OCD was cured, but it turns out I was just living alone. <laughs> that will help. I was just going to be in a quarantine zone. But watching that again, being like, oh, damn, I don't know myself as well as I think I do, has been a learning curve and a, a funny sort of frustration at the same time. Oh, you've mentioned a couple of things I wanted to chat about there. Sorry, that was a lot of, I just, that was everything in one sentence. <laughs> Without wanting to make me or indeed you sound like a wanker, you have been on a journey of self-discovery, yeah? <laughs> yeah, I mean, aren't we always? I think the point at which you're like, I've heard nothing about myself in the last two years. It's like, my guy, write a diary, do something, <laughs> you know, like, how? Go ahead. What have you been doing? And I uh, would like to know what your new show, Again With Feelings, is about I feel like the title gives us some hint but not all of the juice well I am bravely in a new relationship at 35 which I think takes some guts to take yourself to a fight you've lost that many times and <laughs> so I got 18 <laughs> you know when you say you're 18 and you're fine because you have hope but at 35 you're like okay well, I met my husband when I was 40 so you know did you yeah, wicked yeah. that's so nice did you really that's awesome okay we more of those stories please uh, yeah, I and I learned to drive this year and I have moved into a house share and I am wondering if it's possible to, ha- I don't know any queer people who really have kids. I know one lesbian who does and I've never had any role models for that and I so I therefore never thought about it but suddenly my body's going, oh maybe you might need to think about this soon. So I'm sort of having what I, a lot of thoughts I guess I had when I was in my early 20s, even teens. Um, and I kind of can't believe I'm still making these decisions or that my life looks like it how it does. Um, like I think we were promised a sort of version of adulthood that has not been delivered for my generation. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's interesting talking about it on stage. Like I'm moving into a house share to hopefully be on the property ladder. I don't know where I would even start to have kids. I don't know when I'll feel like a real lady woman. It's interesting because I have like, 39 year olds and 19 year olds being like uh uh-huh yeah yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you know 49 year olds being it's so it's been i thought the 19 year olds would be a bit like yikes i hope we have it figured out and that the 49 year olds would be like yikes you probably probably get that sorted but instead everyone's just like "Uh uh-huh we're all being gaslit by capitalism please help it's it's been really cathartic actually because i i grew up in a sort of home mothership obsessed culture in ireland and it's hard not to feel like you're failing all the time. Even when you have a good job and you're doing stuff you want to be doing. I think we can sort of miss our own joyful lives by wanting what we were told we should want. And indeed safety, like it's okay to want it. The milestones we're supposed to achieve just haven't changed, even though our ability to achieve them. I mean, I am a homeowner. I'm really lucky. And that's because I got on the property ladder pretty early in Yorkshire. So, you know, it was a lot cheaper than trying to get on it now in London, for sure. Like, almost impossible. I think it's natural on on the one hand to want, like, safety, security, right? To make it to want home. But I do think it's odd that we still act like it's some sort of, like, massive achievement when we have to acknowledge at this point, if you buy in London, it is, like, usually via circumstance. Like, not all the time, but, like, there have been a whole load of factors that have meant you have been able to do that often. Yeah. And we're still like, wow, what an achievement. And it's like, yes, yes. And, um, you know, I think 
we all feel crazy if we don't concede that some of the time that's because people come from money or because people had help or because, for example, my job pays a silly amount for jokes. I just am self-employed, so you can't get the same number of times from mortgage. God, this is real hoot. But I don't think I should be paid more than a nurse. I just think we should both... I basically think everyone would be able to own a home. I know it's crazy, controversial. I think people should have a safe space to live before other people are allowed to buy second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth homes. But I'm... But the show isn't even the show isn't even about communism. I swear, <laughs> it's mainly stealth, about squirrels. communism and squirrels. <laughs> the, the, the communist of the uh, wildlife society there, the squirrels. <laughs> yeah, I promise it's not kind of mostly. It's not. Um, but yeah, it's basically it's about finding myself in that situation, and it's mainly silly and funny and um, a bit filthy, but. But that is where I find myself, and I'm trying to find the joy in that rather than the shame in it. I think being funny and silly and a bit filthy is something that could be the new milestone. I think we should all aim to achieve that. Agreed. Agreed. (laughs) All right, Mickey here with an advert for BetterHelp Therapy Online. You all right? Such a small question, and sometimes such a big question too, eh? Now, regular listeners will know I am no stranger to depression and while over time and with the help of some decent counselling and brilliant friends and family, I've established a toolkit to help when the constantly dripping tap of life gets a bit too much. That does not mean I am a stress-free human rainbow skipping through meadows. I mean, who is? We all carry around different stresses, big and small, and sometimes we can deal and sometimes it's much harder to cope. Life, in it? Right now, I have a teenage puppy to deal with, and although I love her very, very much, she can be a lot. There, said it. And as quick a fix as it seems to say, I'm fine, I'm fine, and push it all down into the big inside box and put that lid on. For me, that hasn't been a great long-term solution, in that if I don't get it off my chest, it will at some point come bubbling up, and it's never been one to pick its moments in a good way. I find talking means I can avoid it exploding out of me like a messy emotional volcano all over my nana's carpet. Also, during my various times in talk therapy, I discovered that saying something out loud or writing it down can make it seem much more manageable than allowing it to swirl around and grow ever bigger in my head. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I've found knowing how to reach out is sometimes the toughest bit, but BetterHelp is entirely online. Boom which means it couldn't be easier. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a registered therapist, then work your sessions around your schedule. With more than a 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Standard issue listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com standard. That's betterhelp.com slash standard. So you mentioned your OCD there and you live with and and once spent four months in hospital for obsessive compulsive disorder. I think it's still one of the most misunderstood diagnoses because, you know, people are on a little bit OCD if they like to order their CDs. And it's not that I thought CDs like fucking how old am I? That was a real throwback. (laughs) (laughs) Look at me with my VHS collection. I like, you don't need to tell us you're a homeowner when you say CDs. <laughs> uh, compact discs, please. Um, My apologies. 
books do they still exist they do in my house yeah 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 but yeah obviously that isn't it at all so for the listeners could you tell us what actual obsessive compulsive disorder has meant for you yeah it's a really tricky one it it um I understand why it's misunderstood on the one hand because like there's very generic representation of it but also even as a person with OCD when I'm in the height of it it's a very difficult thing to express and how it presents is often like extreme anguish anger depression you know so it doesn't it's not the same for everyone but um essentially the obsessive part of it will often be intrusive thoughts or extreme fear right your brain will tell you that if you don't do x then y will happen and the y is usually horrific and makes you feel very personally responsible the compulsive part is usually the thing you have to do to make that not be so right so a behavior or a thought passion or sort of checking or counting or whatever might be the person involved so if you do that you can get the thing that you're obsessing about to stay at bay right the problem is that grows right so say maybe me cleaning the dust from my house makes me feel less like the world will end in and that I can can't breathe for it might have been that if I cleaned it every day that was enough initially but then obviously it will become twice a day and then three times a day and then you're not going out and then you're not sleeping and the thing about OCD is like I can really only speak as you say from my own experience because there are within OCD a bunch of categorizations so some people have pure so that's incredibly intrusive unwanted often upsetting thoughts for other people hoarding is a form of OCD you might have a fear of germs a fear of lots of um, irrational fears the thing is that what I have learned over a long time of treatment is that the initial part the obsession is the lie your brain is lying right the thing is it's just slightly tricky because OCD will often conflate real fears with and then extrapolate them out so like everyone wants their house to be tidy most people can breathe at a normal pace though if the cushion isn't exactly perpendicular to the wall and that's where the difference is it's about like level of function and in my case, the obsessive need for order and symmetry was like constantly keeping me in a loop, in a loop of behavior that I had to do so as to be able to think straight. But I was never able to think straight. And ultimately, that made me so tired and depressed that I didn't really go out. It's not like a laugh a minute, but it is. Um, <laughs> that's how it prevented me. And it got to a really bad place where I was really unwell and really didn't see a way Lots of the statistics on people with OCD who don't have jobs, who live alone, divorce rates and the unemployment rates are incredibly high. Unfortunately, the suicide rates are very high. Yeah. So I do feel very like fortunate that I try to remember that like it's pretty cool that I have a job and I go outside and I um you know can live with people, but it's sort of exhausting as well. Like I think maybe the energy it takes me to do those things is. A little bit more than it takes other people but that's okay for sure everyone's got stuff right yeah and and that's where i was kind of gonna bounce to with it because obviously with again with feelings you're sort of talking about venturing into the relationship world again at a slightly older age and obviously the older we get the more stuff we carry the more experience slash baggage we haul around with us and that makes it sort of tricky like when do you throw all that at someone else like 
before it becomes a lie and you have to just sit on it forever and never tell them. It's a really tricky balance, right? It is really tricky. That is one question that's always been answered for me, unfortunately, well, since I started doing comedy, because the thing about being a professional <laughs> oversharer in, <laughs> there is now, um, when will I tell her I have OCD? When will I tell her my dad's a deacon? Uh, because she knows, because she's seen a show, because she read an article. So that for me has been taken out, but I, I completely agree. It is like, and also like, it just sort of assumes that you are any better at explaining it than you were at 22. I'm not sure I am. Like, I feel like, look at me trying to explain it to you just then. It's not exactly like, you know, you can't really say that over cocktails, or if you do, it's kind of a vibe killer. <laughs> As a super <laughs> Yeah, it's really hard, and I don't know. But also, I think the flip side, to be a little bit positive, is, yes, we definitely come with way more baggage and indeed furniture. Um, but I think the flip side is, in as much as we have more experience, I think we're also better like, at communicating when we're older. We can be. I don't know. Maybe that's not true of everyone. But I feel like the older I get, the less likely I am to repeat the exact same mistakes in relationships and more likely I am to... I say that after my last relationship, I was like, I'm never dating someone younger than me. I'm not dating a footballing lesbian. I will not date a comic. She's six years younger than me. She plays for the exact same North London football team and she does sketch comedy. But <laughs> we're learning. Well, the sketch comedy, there's definitely a slight shift. So, you know. It's barely comedy. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't like when I say that. No, no. <laughs> I think that the flip side is, yeah, we know ourselves a little bit better and we maybe are better at communicating. Yeah, my mum, on her third marriage, she met him when she was in her late 60s. They got married in their early 70s. It's a love story for our time. It's absolutely delightful. No more odd space. She's amazing. But she once said to me, she was like, Mickey, we come out of a relationship and we, we learn something and we either learn something we want from a relationship or something we don't want from a relationship and we carry that forward. She said, annoyingly, it's mostly what we don't want from a relationship that we learn. But at least you know. And I think our list gets bigger of what we know we're willing to, our boundaries get better. But also we're slightly more accommodating because if we've got shit, then the other person's allowed shit too, right? Hopefully. I think that's the real one is to be, is like, I think that's the one I've noticed. I've heard most is that I'm more like, yeah, obviously you're not perfect. And I really did expect that of my partners early on. Like I was shocked that they would let me down ever. Yeah. Because they were an extension of me, not their own whole person. And now I'm like, yeah, okay, you've got stuff, I've got stuff, and you were a separate person to me. And that's not bad or even surprising. So yeah, I think that's the one is to be like, you definitely learn to be more accommodating. Because we've become more self-aware, unfortunately, and realize, can you believe it? We're not even perfect either. I know it, it doesn't seem plausible, How but it might be come true. come on my podcast and tell me this? This is so yeah, rude. Yeah, I feel really rude, actually. So rude. <laughs> I have heard that before, though. It's fine. But I think the other, so the other relationship we do that with, if, if we have contact with our parents, I only have contact with one of mine, is with our parents, right? We have to stop thinking of them as knowing the answer to everything or not knowing the answer to anything, which is what we go through as teenagers. And you're like, shit, they're an actual human person as well. And I know you obviously had to do that quite fiercely with your dad because of a contrasting opinions about some really key stuff for you. Yeah, and I think it's really easy on the one hand to be like okay I had to like affirm my own queerness and ascertain what I thought about faith and what I thought about organized religion which isn't much to be honest I'm not a fan but I also have to be respectful and acknowledge that that is something that has like functioned as a safety and a, a, a community and hope for him 
and that that isn't actually I think that was the other thing is like acknowledging that that isn't like a personal attack on me but his faith is his own and private and I think you're right it's like acknowledging someone's a whole person and also what does he do with that he treats me with incredible respect and kindness what does he do with it in the world he genuinely helps the people around him mm-hmm. we can have a you know a lot of disagreements but I've also been able to recognize as I get older that like as faith goes his is a very socialist endeavor like he really thinks that that is about sharing wealth and doing everything you can for your fellow human not true of everyone with religion Absolutely but true of a lot not, of people yeah. with but also true of a lot of people with religion right like not true of a lot of faith leaders but true of a lot of faithful people and i haven't been able to just put him into a box uh, no more than i would want to be put into one but yeah i think acknowledging your parents are full people and also that like my parents really do and really actively still try to learn like they're constantly they're really good at being like don't know anything about that what do you mean yeah asking asking the questions oh my god they're brilliant at it the easiest example and the best example is the sort of trigger conversation around dinner table at the moment I think is around trans rights and it's the one where when it happens everyone holds their breaths I think yeah I was sort of floored by their they were both just like oh yeah we want to get that right what what do you think they just like send this to a group of younger people and then just listened but their priority was being respectful to the people they might meet who were trans that was really their only vibe was like just that's not, that's not upset anyone who's already having a tough time as they saw it. And I was like, wow, fair play. I guess my point is like, they're my example of keeping an open mind and trying to learn and not assuming you know everything, but also not working from a place of defensiveness. Catherine, I've noticed from, I've suddenly not seen a live show yet, but I've watched a lot of you on the old internet. I've noticed that you yeah. like to chat to the audience in your shows. So <laughs> I would be firmly at the back. What kind of person do you like on the front row? Oh, (laughs) I could give the honest answer or the podcast answer. The honest answer is obviously a scared fan. (laughs) (laughs) I tell you what, I don't think many of them are listening to Standard Issue, so that can stay in. (laughs) The podcast answer is like, someone who's open to chat. Nah, it's usually just like a frightened man, ideally accompanied by a stern woman who's like, you stay there and you talk to her. If he's with a frightened woman, that's no good because they'll um, capitulate together. Whereas if she's like, tell her, tell her, then that's dreamy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking of Alan and Wendy here. I'm thinking of Alan exactly and that. Wendy. Exactly that. <laughs> oh, Alan. We're all thinking of Alan. And now I'm thinking of Rimming, which is weird for the listeners who might not have seen that. <laughs> oh, yeah. I did a comedy, spe- I filmed a special at Soho Theatre and a man in the front row named Alan claimed not to know what Rimming was and his partner, Wendy, Made it very clear he did in fact know what it was. He just apparently didn't have the terminology, but he was, he knew the moves, as it were. (laughs) I can't think of a better point to end an interview than you mean, to be honest. (laughs) So, Again With Feelings is on an extensive UK and Ireland tour. I say, Ireland, you're doing only one date in Dublin, but, you know, I'm not going to make the mistake of bunging that in with the UK. Thank you. Kicking off with a 12-night run at Soho Theatre from March the 4th. Tickets and more info at catherinebohart.com. 
Apart from your website, where can people follow you on the socials to find out what you're up to? Please and thank you. Oh, please follow me on Instagram. I put lots of videos on TikTok, but um, I do most of my promotion on Instagram. And also, I'm now doing Melbourne and Sydney dates as well. So I don't know if you have Australian listeners, but if there's anybody listening down under, I'll be there end of March and all of April. I'm doing four weeks at the Melbourne Comedy Festival and a week at Sydney. Oh, I did notice the big gap. I noticed the month and I thought maybe she's having a yeah. little break, but no. No, no, imagine a break. Did you hear the perfectionism? No, no. We must always be working because I apparently don't agree with Catholicism, but I will take their work ethic to the grave. And the guilt, mate, the guilt. I come from an yeah. Irish Catholic family and it just never goes away, however however hard you try. <laughs> no, no, never. Yeah, I'd love to see you there. Oh, Catherine, it's been such a joy to chat to you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Standard issue for all women.